through a particular book, and we would try and tackle that book verse by verse or passage by passage, chapter by chapter. But from time to time, there is definitely, I believe, opportunity and the need to speak to a topic. And so that's what I'm going to do tonight. We won't be speaking to one uh, particular passage. There are going to be a number of verses later on in the message that I, I will be referring to and, and uh, uh, using to substantiate uh, something of what I'm going to be sharing with you tonight. So a single verse that I'd like us to read or like you to follow with me in reading, it comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 23. So if you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 27 and 28. Lots of wisdom in the book of Proverbs given to us and preserved for us. And reading then from verse 27. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Father, thank you for your word, all of your word, from the very beginnings of Genesis to the end of Revelation. And Lord, we believe that we can benefit, that we can grow as believers, that we can learn to uh, be conformed more and more to the likeness of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, that we, learn, that we can learn to honor you in whatever we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we come to church, that we would be those who glorify you in all of life. And so as we turn to this particular topic tonight of the church, I do pray that you would enable me to speak clearly and simply, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use uh, this message tonight to bring much honor and attention and adoration and worship to you because you are God and you are worthy of all things. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, those of you who were here last Sunday night, I don't know if you remember, but during the notices, I raised the matter of church membership. We were about to have an AGM on Tuesday night, and there was the urging of bringing the members together to gather together so that uh, decision-making could take place and uh, something of the previous year's ministry could be reported on. So I appealed to those who were here in those brief moments, urging believers who were not members. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody tonight and say, well, who of you are believers but not members of a particular local church? You're here tonight as a believer, but you're not a member of the Central Baptist Church. And my intention was to urge you to seriously consider taking an important step of aligning, of aligning yourself with a local church as a faithful member. That's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to try and elaborate on that. As I thought about this message again, I do want to say that I've always believed, and I'm wanting to compliment those of you who are students here tonight. I've always believed, I've, I've seen that students are willing to think. That's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to think. I don't want you just to accept the realities. Sometimes we older people, we get into a rut, and it's very difficult to get out of a rut. But younger people are still cutting their ruts. And so before you cut this rut on church membership, I want you to think about the message tonight, and, and, and as we get to the end of the message, the, the scriptures that I will share with you to substantiate what I'm saying. Tonight, 
I want us to think through the matter of the church, and I'm referring to the local church and professing believers. I want to speak about the relationship that you as an individual believer have to the local church. Now, there are many local churches. I know that. We are just one in the city. Many good local churches, no doubt, that there are in our city. But I intend to show you tonight that the way that you view the church, your perception of the church, the way that you see the church will affect your personal, you as an individual, and even our corporate efforts in ministry. What, what do you think of the church? How do you think about the church? Now, there are two ways that I want to identify. There is a way that some professing believers see the church that I believe dishonors God, and it ends up in eternal fruitlessness. In other words, you can be involved in a church in this particular way or churches in this particular way, and in essence, is a waste of time. There is another way, there is a way that Scripture teaches that the way that we ought to view the church that does honor God. So there is a way that the church should be organized, that church should be conducted, that church should be seen, and, and this particular view will lead or does lead to an eternal fruitfulness, a productivity in your life and in the life of the local church. 2021, perhaps I should even go back a couple of decades. We are living in an era, a stage where I'm convinced that the, the matter of right, the right kind of thinking, the right kind of practice regarding the local church needs urgent attention. And we're a great group of people here tonight. We can be the beginning of, of the right way of thinking and practicing in relating to the local church. And so I invite you to work with me through a challenge. And I'm going to be presenting a, an argument here tonight. And I, I want us to do that with honest soul searching. Don't be so concerned about your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, or somebody else you know that's sitting at home. I want you to be thinking about yourself. How do you relate to the local church? Honest soul searching. And perhaps even at the end of this message, you may be saying to yourself, there needs to be some kind of corrective action. I need to change. I need to perhaps repent of, of the way that I've considered and seen the church. My challenge comes in a single sentence. Let me put that sentence. I think it will go up on the, on the screen. Uh, it's a challenge that ought to be heard by young people and old people, and it ought to be heard by clergy, people like me, people who lead churches. We need to listen to this. We need to uh, consider this, and, and here it is. Professing believers need to stop seeing and using the church as a prostitute and to see and commit to the church as a wife. Now, just take a moment and digest that statement. My first point this evening is going to be an elaboration. The question, what does it mean? What do I mean to see the church as a prostitute? 
Well, I want you to think a little bit about the birds and the bees. Everybody old enough here tonight to think about the birds and the bees. Well, why do prostitutes exist? And if you don't know it, this particular location of this building is uh, in, an, in a locality where many prostitutes operate. If you drive around at night, coming to a particular meeting, it's not been uncommon. Uh, I've even had uh, prostitutes knock on my window uh, seeking to do business. Why, why are they in business? Well, we need to back up a little bit and see that it is true. The Bible teaches that God has made men and women uh, distinctly, but He has made us as sexual beings. So men and women are therefore attracted to each other and have the capacity to express physically their love and affection to each other. So prostitutes, coming to the picture, prostitutes are in business because of the misuse and perversion of legitimate sexual desires. Okay, that's a mouthful. Let me say it a little bit differently. There are legitimate sexual desires that are God-given to men and to women. The problem is in the fallen world, these sexual desires are misused and perverted and end up being used in a God-dishonoring and God-defiant way. Now, let me go a little bit further. On the one side of the equation, in this relationship between a prostitute and what I want to call clients, there are clients, men and women, not just men, men and women, who pay money to have their lustful fantasies and desires satisfied. They are discontent, whether it be a husband or a wife in a marriage, or whether it be an unmarried person. They are discontent, and, 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 and they have a self-indulgent need that they want satisfied. And so making use of the prostitute is nothing more, if I could put it quite bluntly and plainly, is accessing a service to have felt needs met. Well, how are those felt needs met? This week, particular man or particular woman, let's use men as an example, how uh, this man would find a leggy blonde, long legs, Eastwood Street, available as a service provider. But next week, he feels like something a little bit different. And so he will go down to perhaps Harsfontein. And in that particular area or Hatfield, he'll find a buxom brunette because he feels that his self-indulgent needs need to be met in a different way. It's a way of life essentially driven by self-indulgence, the individual being the most important. It is fed by lust. And it's really just a picture of sinful, the sinful nature in action. So that's the one side of the equation. But of course, it takes two to tango. And so on the other side of the equation, there is the prostitute. So what does the prostitute do? The prostitute takes advantage of the self-indulgent nature of the client. It is a business opportunity. And so the prostitute, therefore, to be successful in the business opportunity, will pitch herself or he will pitch himself as sexually attractive for the client. 
pretending, pretending, and I want to emphasize the pretense. There's no sincerity in this exchange. She will flutter her eyelids at the potential client and pretend that she really has an interest in him or her, whatever it may be. Pretending to have the interest of the client as uppermost in her mind. But if you analyze on the one side the client and on the other side the prostitute, both are users. Both parties are interested in getting what they want. Both will do, very important to remember this as I get to some application, both will do what they have to do to exploit the other person to their own advantage. Well, sad as it may seem, but dear friends, that user mentality is sometimes present among us in the church. It can be among us as professing Christians. It can even be among us as parachurch organizations. Let me try and elaborate and explain what I mean. There are many pastors and churches who dress themselves up to attract religious clients. And sometimes it's not the pastor himself or the pastor alone, the leadership at the church. The church presents itself to attract religious clients. There is a, a, a business opportunity that needs to be concluded. You see, where the prostitute may paint her face and put extended eyelashes on and put, uh, is it fishnet stockings on her legs, pastors and churches are very creative in designing different ways, different means that appeal to the market, the populace, the people out there. And they will do anything and everything possible to attract potential clients. It can involve all sorts of things like creating a vibe, perhaps creating some sort of aesthetically pleasing uh, environment. It can be uh, a focus on emotional manipulation and, and other uh, fads and fancies. Sadly, sadly, I'm asking you to think tonight, to look around and be discerning. This kind of thing is done to exploit the marketplace and extract from the client as much as they can. It's about extortion. What can I get from those who are coming? This approach in churches or by pastors or elders have adopted a policy and philosophy that will do anything to lure the masses. And I do want to point out that it can be anything from safe, predictable conservatism to the other extreme of outrageous, unpredictable chaos. And we've seen some of that even in our news over the past years. Even in keeping in step with political correctness of the broader society. And we've seen a lot of that very sadly in our churches as well. And, and, and all the time it's to please the people. God has not entered into this equation as the, as the main player. It's to lure the masses, to enrich themselves, to, to, to put bums on seats. And all of this on the back of messages and smoke screens of pretense of love and concern. 
And just like a prostitute stays in business, because there are many clients who have self-indulgent needs, in the religious world there are many people who will pay, and who will keep paying for services rendered. So here's another slide I'd like to go up on the screen. You see, the very real legitimate need to worship God is perverted and misused to feed and bolster self-indulgent religious desires. Again, I want you to absorb what I'm saying in that particular phrase. We are designed, we are made by God to worship Him because He's, He's worthy of worship. But because of our sinful nature and the sinful nature of leaders and greed and self-indulgence, this legitimate need to worship God is perverted. And if I could go on in my application, when one service provider gets a bit boring or won't perform exciting tricks to keep the engagement exciting, clients will simply move to another service provider who will give them what they want. And there are even times when two or, three more, more, two or three or more service providers are used at the same time. This church, that church, this church, that church. I get this in the morning, I get that in the evening. Do, do you get the idea? It's, it's all about me. It's all about what I need, what I want. And so this week it might be Central Baptist, next week it's Saint something, and then the following week it's Saint something else. And, and, and after all its reasons, it's reasoned, I need, I need to have all my needs met. That, dear friends, is a tragic picture of what it means to see and use the church as a prostitute. I want to move on. What does it mean, secondly, this evening, to see the church as a wife? This is where I believe we ought to be. The essence of what it means to understand seeing the church as a wife is captured in the exchanging of vows at a Christian wedding ceremony. Let me remind you of those vows. Listen carefully. I say this to bride and a groom often at a wedding. Listen to the vows that you're exchanging. I call upon these persons here present to witness that I publicly declare my love and devotion to you now, now the content, listen to the specifics of the vow. To have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. And then the bride and the groom both, looking into each other's eyes, say, to this I give you my solemn promise. So marriage, marriage as we understand it, as God has designed it, is, is about making a promise to commit and to give yourself to your spouse. It's about love and devotion, about permanence, about sacrifice through thick and thin. Not only when things are going well. We've all seen it. Newlyweds are a beautiful thing to see. I see them regularly, marrying couples year in and year out. A delight to see a young couple swooning and crooning and all the rest of it. And, and, and they're off on to paradise. 
But you know what's even more beautiful? And I've seen it in this church over my years here. When couples have stuck together and they celebrate 67 years or 70 years of marriage and I've seen couples walk out after a service and they still hold hands. You think life has been easy for them along the way all the time? Never, ever. They've been through tough times. They've been through challenges. They've been through difficulties. They've been through temptations. They've discovered that there's some rough spots and this one has discovered some, some other difficulties, but they've stuck together because of the marriage relationship. Learning and growing through all kinds of expectations and disappointments and standing alongside in seasons of illness, lovingly enduring through the twilight years of old age. You see, in a godly marriage, it's not all about me, the individual. It's the husband, this is another passage we'll get to, it is the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. It's the wife submitting to her husband as unto the Lord. And so, so what am I speaking about here tonight? I'm speaking about a covenant relationship. That's, that's the nature of marriage, and that's the nature of the relationship that there ought to be amongst members in a church and, and toward a church. Characterized by what? Selfless love. Stickability. Endurance. Faithfulness. Loyalty. Support. Growing, learning, giving. That's what I'm suggesting. In fact, I'm not suggesting. I'm proclaiming tonight as God's design for the church. You see, when you see and commit to the church as a wife, it is not seen to be self-indulgent. It's not a self-indulgent, one-stop, get-what-I-want at the service provider, and then if that service provider doesn't do and behave and act in the way that I, I believe it should, I move to the next service provider. Now, this presents a challenge to us, every professing believer. The challenge is, and I'm coming back to the issue, you must enter. If you are a believer, you do need to enter into a covenant relationship with a single local church. It does not have to be Central Baptist Church. There are great churches in Pretoria. Watercliffe Baptist Church, I think it's a great church. A couple of other churches that I would happily personally, Bethany Baptist Church, great Baptist church. I'm not suggesting that this is the only Baptist church, but you do need to, it's like there are lots of girls you can marry, guys, or guys, girls, there's lots of guys you can marry, but when you marry, you marry one. And so the intention of this message tonight is to urge professing believers to commit to the ministry of a local church. Become an active and selfless, loving member, the stickability and all those other things I mentioned, endurance, faithfulness, loyalty, support. Now here's the question. Am I merely being pragmatic in my appeal to you to become involved as a church member? Or is it God's design that we be involved in covenant relationships? Which is my third point. Why must we view the church as a wife and not as a prostitute? And my very first substantiating argument, and it's a biblical argument, is that covenant relationships are biblical. 
If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, you will find in the opening chapters and the unfolding of Scriptures various covenants. These are agreements entered into between God and Adam and God and Noah and God and Abraham and others, the Davidic covenant. But the significant, the significant covenant that I want to refer to you, uh, refer you to, to tonight is the covenant between Jesus and his church. It's what the Bible calls the new covenant. Every time we celebrate communion, we speak of the cup of the new covenant that proclaims his death. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant that has been ratified by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And at the heart of the covenant, God's promise of redemption. God has promised to redeem all who put their trust in Him. All who trust Christ as their Savior. Paul explains in this other passage that we could have read tonight that marriage is a symbol it's a picture of the love and commitment of Christ that Christ has for the church. And so I have another slide, and again, we can have, put that slide up so we can look at it and digest it and, and let me read it. Uh, the covenant relationship between a husband and a wife models the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. The church in action as described in the New Testament, behaves as those who are in a covenant relationship with each other. And I'm going to try and give you some instances now, some further biblical examples that, that, that uh, elaborate and explain uh, how this works in practice. Have you ever thought of why shepherds are called to care for their flock? I just use your imagination, and you're a shepherd in the Karoo. You can only care for a flock if you know who your flock is. I mean, that's just plain simple logic. Church membership is implied in the way that the New Testament requires elders, us elders, to take care of the flock in their charge. Can't take care of the flock who are in Bobsfontein. The Bible tells elders that they are to have a special responsibility and care for a certain group, a group of members at a particular place. Let me give you the Scriptures. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. In another place... The Apostle Peter speaks to the elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, he, it, it's even more clear. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We are called together in a single place, in a covenant relationship, so that we can relate to one another in this journey of faith that we undertake with God. Another argument in favor of this covenant-type relationship is accountability in the church. 
You can only be accountable if there is a mutual commitment in a relationship. If there's no mutual commitment, there can be no accountability. How do we expect anyone to submit to any kind of accountability, any kind of discipline, if they don't belong? Again, if we look at the Bible, we see a discipline case in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Assumes that a public knowledge... People know who belong to the church and who does not belong to the church. And in this extreme case of discipline, there is an expelling, there is an excommunication. It only makes sense because there's a visible belonging. What about Matthew 18? We have a process which is outlined to deal with situations when there is offense, when a brother offends you. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If uh, between you and him, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If not, uh, take one or two others along with you that the charge may be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church, local church. What about the metaphor of the body? The Bible makes use of uh, the human body uh, as a metaphor to explain the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 12 onwards. How can you be a member that's not a member? How can this arm be my arm unless it's connected to my shoulder? There's, there's a connectedness. There's, there's a unity. Just as the body is one and as many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one. One body, so it is with Christ. So there's, there's an organic relationship. There's a connectedness. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, we see there's a list of widows kept by the New Testament church. How do they keep a list if they don't know who the widows are in their particular context? Covenant relationships are biblical. But what we also need to understand today is that covenant relationships, my next point, are countercultural. Professor of Sociology, a gentleman by the name of Robert Bella, University of California, published a book called Habits of the Heart. It was a study in American, and this is why I quote from the book, a study in American individualism, a warning that the loss of ideals like commitment and community and covenant will be the undoing of America. Now, that's not in our context, but we can extract the principle. Quoting a Frenchman, describing America 160 years before, this is what he says, this individualism, this lack of commitment. He says, such folk owe no man anything, hardly expect anything from anybody. They form the habit of thinking of themselves in isolation and imagine that their whole destiny is in their own hands. And he went, he went on to say that individualism narrows our concern to our own immediate problems, often cutting, off us, cutting us off from our past as well as the history of our society. And so our society today, in the Western world particularly, is very individualistic, isolated, and everybody's concerned uh, just for their own world and for their own well-being. We need to be careful that we don't get influenced, that we're not taken by the flow of secular society. We constantly need to adjust and readjust our thinking and practice in line with biblical revelation, refusing to be swept away by the mood of our day.
Well, let me conclude. What is your take on the church? Is the church merely a service provider? I really want you to think about that. I could develop further arguments about the church as the body of Christ and in union with Christ, and we can get onto those very important theological subjects. But dear friends, the church is not merely a service provider. You cannot, I would urge you, please don't just see the church as providing a religious service, sort of hatch, match, and dispatch. No, no. You can't see the church in the same way that a prostitute provides a sexual service. Do you see the church as the body of Christ? Something so amazing, so mysterious, and yet so magnificent. The body of Christ to which you as a believer, you've been united. That union which ex expresses uh, the reality in covenant relationship in a local body. Even the letters to the New, in the New Testament, written to the church at Corinth, listened, written to the church at Ephesus, written to the church at Philippi, local churches. And so there is a challenge for all of us, I believe. We can all grow, we can all uh, mature in this particular way by searching our hearts and asking the question, am I, am, am I as a member of this church, as a pastor of this church, selfishly loving others with stickability? And I want to tell you something as a pastor, I often think about resigning. And I'm sure you think about that. Enduring, being faithful, being loyal, being supportive, being coming together as one who grows and learns. And so I am asking tonight, we're about to start a membership, a series of membership classes. Jabu announced that. And the reason for this, another reason for this message tonight, if you're not a member, won't you consider joining that membership class? In the light of this message, I'm asking you to buy in and throw your weight in with us here at Central. Partnership in the gospel. Becoming an involved, committed member. Spending your life for God in a single local church. Lord, straightforward conversation and preaching tonight and perhaps making us feel a little uncomfortable, uh, challenging uh, practices and ways of life and uh, religious service that is not in line and in keeping with covenant relationships. And so won't you, by your Spirit, Lord, continue to work in all of us, uh, taking that step of belonging, but not to belong passively, but to belong actively, and not for any other reason, but Lord, to honor you and to serve you with the gifts that you provide, being those who are fruit bearers with consequence, not only for this life, but even into eternity. 
Thank you for every young person here tonight, for every older person. You know us individually. Thank you for your interest in us as individual people, knowing us by name, knowing every detail and every challenge. And so, Lord, committing one another to you, acknowledging our need of your continued working, the continued presence, activity of the Holy Spirit in us. And Lord, in all of this, may Jesus be praised. May He be glorified. Amen. Amen.